0: As a creative, I've dipped into multiple different things from filmmaking, so traditional storytelling with scripts, scripted content, narrative content. When I was 21, I shot my first ever feature film, recognized by a company in Hollywood and invested in it. After that, I kind of was like burned by making movies and didn't want to do them ever again. So I started a YouTube channel that's, that's reached up to almost 100,000 subscribers. After that, I just started writing a rule book literally for myself. And what started as a couple paragraphs on a Apple Notes just grew into a full manuscript. I really love having my YouTube channel as an outlet to share these types of experiences doing a YouTube channel is really tough. It is a constant battle. It's like a 50-50 split. 50% is your passion, your love, your intention to why you started this. And then the other 50%, basically like a business, is the analytics, satisfying the algorithm, trying to be popular, giving it sustainability. Because a YouTube channel, like a movie, like anything, is a, has to be treated like a business. For me, I've I've kind of dabbled in all aspects of filmmaking from I, I'm one of those t- types of creators who like to do a little bit of everything. And I've heard the term this is also known as pushing up pushing the bus up the hill. I don't know if you've heard this term, but mm-hmm. it's the it's the concept that you do so many things at once that instead of pushing like one thing at once, like a small object up a hill, you're pushing like an entire bus. You're doing 20 things at once. But no matter how hard I try. I can't just have one tab open on my internet browser. I have to, have to
1: have. <laughs> exactly.
0: And so more is better, right? Exactly. And, and I think it's the way my brain is calibrated. And I think certain people can work really well with one thing. I from the from high school, working on multiple different textbooks at once, I've always just worked better with my hands stretched out while it is overwhelming. So as a creative, I've dipped into multiple different things from filmmaking, so traditional storytelling with scripts scripted content, narrative content. When I was uh, 21, I shot my first ever feature film that ended up getting global wow. distribution and uh, yeah, recognized by by a company in Hollywood who who in, invested in it. And then um, after that, I kind of was like burned by making movies and didn't want to do them ever again. So, I started a YouTube channel that's that's reached up to almost 100,000 subscribers. And then I had a stark realization in the process of that thinking is everything that I ever have made, and this might put a weird taste in your mouth, along with most other people might be listening to it, because it did definitely for me, which was everything that I've ever created can only be digested if there's power. If by chance, and not to go doomsday or like conspiracy theory, it was just a weird thought in my head. I'm like, if the power went out, I would have zero things to show to my children. <laughs> be like, what does your dad do? Well, he made things on the internet that we can't access anymore. And so, That harsh reality began my journey writing a book for about four years, and it sort of wove in my experience being uh, an everything filmmaker, five-in-one filmmaker, from doing scripted content, documentary content, uh, YouTube, and trying to find my authentic voice in that journey. Because I think, as most of us, whether we're making a short film, a YouTube channel, or even a podcast, there is an element of our voice that we want to share within that. But I think in the world that we live in, the climate is very uh, influenced. There's a lot of people to look at, you know, anywhere, anywhere we turn, there's some sort of very influential figure in our, in our uh, trajectory. And we like to follow within their footsteps because it's really easy. So when I was building on my YouTube channel, I found much more comfort copying other creatives than I did. Um, using my own unique voice, which there definitely is one. We all have our own unique voice, but it's terrifying to speak our own language. It's terrifying to wear the clothes we like to wear. It's much easier to be like, well, the fashion of Kanye West, maybe this is a bad example, but the fashion of Kanye West is, is he's already wearing it. If people already like his brand, I'm just going to wear the clothes that he wears because that's so much easier. And I felt that sort of mentality when it came to expressing myself on the internet. And what happened, which is probably predictable is I got, called out for it. A lot of people recognized that I was like directly riffing off a very famous filmmaker here in Ontario, Canada, Peter McKinnon. And, uh, people totally saw that I was copying him and I was dressed
1: as Kanye West, no less. (laughs)
0: Uh, but, uh, I, I, I felt that there was, um, I was getting a lot of these comments. There were hate comments. It was a lot of, uh, mean feedback that I was getting. And so I thought, There must be something true here because it definitely hurt the fact that I thought I was being authentic. Meanwhile, people were watching me seeing that I was directly riffing off of his style. Everything from the types of shots I was getting, my personality that I was on camera. And at the end of the day, being unauthentic is not sustainable for your brand. You know, If you follow in someone's footsteps long enough, sooner or later, you're going to trip and fall over. And I was tripping. I was constantly tripping. And so... I decided to create a little bit of a rule book for myself. Okay, how do I be authentic? It was like five steps. I decided to make that into a video. The video actually ended up doing really well for my channel, one of the most successful videos on my channel. And that just sort of, and and then it got me in contact with the person who I was copying, Peter. And I started recognizing that a lot of people found value in this. And more importantly, I did. And from that point forward, not only did my YouTube channel start, gaining its own authentic voice, but so did the films I was making, the relationships I was building, and my life just sort of felt more authentic after that. So I'm like, okay, maybe there's some material here. So after that, I just started writing a rule book literally for myself, maybe an odd YouTube video here or there. And what started as a couple paragraphs on, a, on an Apple Notes just grew into a full manuscript. Two years later, I was working on a, on a book, and now it is a published piece of content called The Unoriginal Guide to Originality, which is a full guidebook to creativity and authenticity in this very over-influenced climate, and uh, how to find your voice as a creative or just as an individual so, um, that was how I, I, I started writing that and that's where we're at now.
1: That's great. What opportunities has that book led to?
0: It's interesting because less than opportunities, it's really given myself the backbone to which I kind of was seeking, which was a dis, uh, not disassociation from who I am as a filmmaker, but really just carving out another side of myself that I felt like wasn't being expressed. And also there is now another layer to the legacy, which is something that is tangible, which is really cool because as filmmakers, and there's no disrespect to anybody who tells stories because like I, 95% of the time I'm a filmmaker, 5% was just the book. And 95% of the time there's nothing tangible. Like we don't even have DVDs anymore. Yeah. You know, like you know, the goal for me when I was growing up was, I want to have a movie that I can, print out and rip the plastic off on the inside and have like a DVD with the sleeve and then you know by the time it it became to be a filmmaker in, in 2022 there's no opportunity to have any tangible aspect of your thing. if anything you're at the peak of your success if it's untangible. If it's on Netflix or if people are seeing it in a movie theater then you've reached the peak. But what I recognize is the only thing that you have to that film is like a movie poster. And so when I get to see the book, I think that is something really, you know, valuable. And as far as the opportunities go, um, it's really just a business card for me now where it's it's something I can say to my name. A lot of friends recognize it and uh, it's, it's provided speaking opportunities. And most importantly, it's just allowed me to learn a little bit about myself. Like I recommend anybody write a book and it's totally like a journal. Like I'll just go and read it. I'm like, oh, that's something that's interesting. I didn't think. Think of that, I need, I needed that piece of information today.
1: So I would love to hear the story of Dead Rush. How did you write, direct, produce, post-produce an entire feature film and get it nationally distributed when you were 21?
0: Yeah, so I had originally shot a short film uh, when I was 19 called Dead Rush and it was a first person zombie apocalypse movie told from the main character's POV. And I just wanted to make it with some friends over a weekend, so for about 250 bucks, I got together around 50 people, Um, 43 of them were zombie extras, the other bits were cast. Uh, And with uh, the biggest amount of money going towards some prosthetics for the zombies, and I think about $100 went towards pizza, we shot this little short film that ended up getting the recognition of a company out in LA who wanted to finance a feature length film And uh, I was off to the races at the age of 20, uh, writing a feature length script, casting, building this whole thing out, a complete imposter in an industry I knew nothing about. On top of that, we were shooting something that had never been done before uh, in North America, which was a first person feature length movie. And simultaneously, there was another movie being made called Hardcore Henry, and that was done in Europe, where they were able to pull do the most ridiculous shit during the filming of that. Uh, We had a bunch of limitations, not only to legalities filming in Canada, which is a pain in the ass, but also the fact that we didn't have a million-dollar budget. We had $25,000 to make a feature-length movie in two weeks. So uh, there was a lot of limitations to the process. Uh, mostly the angle to which we filmed from and any mentors that I had at the time or any other filmmakers who I looked up to, I was like, hey, can you give me some help with this one? Any ideas? And they would just look at me like, good luck, kid. <laughs> and that was, uh, that was the hardest thing I think I've ever done to this date, uh, but also one of the biggest learning lessons. And I, I do tell a, a good deal about that project in uh, the book, actually.
1: Who, who are those filmmakers that you turn to for guidance?
0: There's a lot of uh, local filmmakers here in Ontario who I looked up to, uh, and I still do, and we're, we're all very good friends. Um, they have uh, they, they have a production company here in Toronto, and uh, they do a lot of horror films and indie horror films, um, as well as uh, some other uh, film directors. That uh, yeah, I would I would l- I'm honored to call my friends, and more importantly, just be able to have as uh, as mentors.
1: And so you're there, two weeks of shooting. What were the biggest production nightmares that you had to solve there on set?
0: That's a great question. Thank you for bringing back the traumas. (laughs) I I, I blanked them out of my brain. But the biggest (laughs) one, I I would say this has been etched into my brain, is we were filming. uh, This really generous person let us rent out for like 500 bucks this whole warehouse for a week. And this warehouse was a functioning factory. What kind of factory? Uh, beats me. I was like, cool, a factory. Something was being made. Something was being made. And they're like, hey, you can have this this small section of the factory great. that we kind of rent out to some small businesses who aren't there anymore. So I was like, great. So we go in. We shot there for about a week. And me being ambitious at the time and kind of willing to do whatever to get the shot we started exploring outside of the areas to which we were allowed to film in. We found this one really good spot. We shot in it. Accidentally broke a piece of machinery because one of the oh, grip no. guys stood on this conveyor belt that wasn't meant to be stood on. Oh, no. And, uh, the next day that I had 100 extras coming up to and about 50 cast crews, about 150 people in total on set this one day. Uh, For our biggest scene in the movie, I get a phone call that morning from the owner of the factory saying, hey, I won't use any profanities, but he's like, you he was not happy. (laughs) He was not happy. Not happy. And he Uh, wanted you out completely. So, no. Yeah. And I had the biggest scene to shoot in my entire movie that day. And so he calls me, says, hey, you guys have to get out of here. Um, I was like, you don't understand. I have to shoot my zombie movie. He's like, you don't understand. You destroyed my equipment. (laughs) (laughs) And we ended up, uh, I remember walking. I remember hanging up, calling my mom almost in tears. And we still had another week of filming to go. And at this point I was like, I'm never touching a camera again. I'm not even going to watch a movie i the best memory i have of this moment i was walking up the street in my underwear because we were just like finished a day of shooting and i was like down i was barefoot underwear and just walking off into the sunset and i was ready to just keep walking so,
1: carrying your pants or were those just gone those were lost in the in
0: production who knows where the pants But the, the the pants pants were gone and i remember my 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 first ad and uh my producing partner were walking beside me and be like hey like we got to turn around we got to make this movie zach and I was ready to just go live out in the woods, being just like a, a man of the woods at that point, point. and I don't blame you, yeah, and you know my mom, incredible human being that she is, she got on the phone with this factory owner, so we talked to him somehow, and the next day we were in there, and we got the location, brought in the the zombies, wrapped out uh, longest shooting day of my life, and uh, we were able to get everything that we needed
1: That's amazing. How long was that sh- that final shoot day.
0: It was like 24 hours. Oh my God. <laughs> it was a long day. Like wow. I mean, like legitimately, it was like 20 hours. We started early in the morning and then shot in the late hours of the night, and then we had to like get everything out because they needed, they wanted us out of there.
1: Amazing. So, so you got it. So you finished the film. You cut it yourself.
0: Yeah, I edited. I edited myself. So, um, and to kind of root back to what we, how we kind of started about this, because Nick, you were sharing your sort of trajectory after school, you know there's sort of that, Oh, what do I do? Where am I going? And, um, you know, and this was something that I was facing as well. I I was getting some jobs here or there, but I I needed something to really put my name on the map. And so this opportunity to do this film while overwhelming and daunting, I knew it was kind of going to be the accelerator and I didn't go to university or college, uh, for filmmaking. So I was, I was even more lost. I was like, ah, I really love this a lot. And I didn't invest in an education, but I have someone willing to invest in this education, in quotations for me, to make. And I really have to knock it out of the park. And so I I took on everything imaginable because uh, to young filmmakers listening to this, $25,000 seems like a lot of money. I thought it was like a million dollars. To most experienced people, that's like craft services for a day. So (laughs) it was no money that I thought was like (laughs) Top Gun Maverick level money. And uh, it was all spent very quickly. And I took on every single hat imaginable from directing, editing, writing, applying makeup. I did have incredibly talented human beings on my team, but uh, slowly but surely they moved on to other projects and I stayed on to editing this masterpiece. And uh, it, it was wrapped up in about a year and we had our big world premiere. And the rest is history. What is that
1: history? What happened then?
0: I, I had this huge dream that this movie was going to make me the next Spielberg. I was like, here we go. I am this young guy. I made this film that no one's seen before. It's a zombie film. It's first person. It's got all these cool like things about it. Uh, and sure enough, as soon as we did our, uh, we did our press release and we we're sending it out to people to get reviewed... Uh, it just got obliterated by reviewers mm. in the worst way possible, and I remember that same feeling of walking up the street in my underwear just came back again. And uh, the pants came off again. <laughs> pants came off again. I don't know what happens. I'm not even wearing the pants right now. From that point it... forward, I was <laughs> so that's what happens. It's what happens. You know, that's the risk you take. That's that's uh, the risk for filmmaking. The the, yeah. the love of the passion and yeah. your legs uh, get tan. That's they the it's it. it's true it's it's very freeing actually I mean, <laughs> but we ended up uh yeah it ended up getting ripped ripped to shreds and um you know it it definitely that my ego took a big hit and so i was really afraid at that point that we weren't going to i that was it for my career again um but we ended up actually doing the premiere it did end up getting global distribution uh we did win audience choice award at the festival that we played at and actually was well received. But as a young youthful filmmaker, I signed like the shittiest deal in history where I had no control of the film once it was done. I didn't really make any money off of it. Uh and to this day I haven't made a dime off the movie. I have no idea where it is. Daily I get messages uh on YouTube because I have a, a version of it uploaded to my YouTube just because I was sending it out as like a like a link for people to watch online. And because of that, YouTube has a copyright claim thing where they'll let you know if someone's copywritten your movie. And so daily, uh probably like weekly, I get a notification on YouTube of some other production company that's released the movie. And it, it like collectively, it's probably got about five million views on YouTube. It's released wow. in like German, it's Germany, cool. Japan, all around the world. and I, wow. there's all these different titles for it. Uh, and I've not seen a dime from it. I haven't seen any real benefit yeah. from it. But the greatest benefit, which I'm sure you could agree to, is that the experience for most things is usually the most valuable asset. Um, beyond connections and all that stuff. Because like connections can get you so far, but it's like without the experience, you really aren't gaining anything. You can have a great connection, but have bad experience and not go anywhere. But you can have great experience and have a few good connections and go everywhere.
1: What is that next major project? So you're doing frequent, really high quality shorts on your channel. You're doing very thorough behind the scenes using that, those projects to teach people filmmaking. What's the next feature film project for you?
0: Great question, man. So we ended up diving into a new short film that is going to be premiering actually this month, um, August 26th, which is a science fiction film. After doing a first-person zombie movie, I recognized that um, I wanted to dive a little bit more into different genre pieces, specifically science fiction, and found a true passion for it. So uh, to this day, I've made four four sci-fi films that Um, I'm, I'm really happy with, and, uh, this is just another one. We, we just finished a sort of black mirror esque short film, uh, that follows a young girl who's trapped inside of a smart home and the short film is, is, it turned out excellent. And the the goal is to use that as a proof of concept to then, uh, finance and get some attention for a feature film of that.
1: Awesome. That's cool. And what will you do differently now that, now that you've been through
0: the, been to the rodeo tighter belt. (laughs) keep the pants on tighter. And I mean, I think the, the big thing that I would gain from this, or something that I would do different on a new feature film rather than the first one, almost everything, you know, I think one is just not to take it so seriously. So Mm -hmm. we, when we did this short film, shorts are different than features, obviously, but they do take the same amount of attention to detail. Uh, It's just less time, but you're still going through stressful situations, collaboration, working with groups of people. And I would say the the thing is like, it's not brain surgery. You're not curing cancer. You're not doing anything that will, it will help maybe influence people, but this isn't going to save a life per se. And it's really important to put that lens over what we do, because if we don't, then it becomes this horribly stressful craft that was, I think, 100% of us got into it because it's an art that we really love. And I know it sounds kind of hippy-dippy, but the quickest way to dislike this medium is to take it super seriously. And I know mm. we have bills to feed, mouths to feed, and or bills to feed, bills to pay, mouths to feed, At the end of the day, obviously, we have to do that. And Smiles and Good Intentions can't put money in the bank account. But also, stress doesn't make anything better. And that was one ingredient I had wrong when I made this other film. I stressed so much that I even look back on the project now with with like iron butterflies in my stomach, which isn't fun. Mm. So Mm. the next project, and we did it on this one, which was... It sort of felt like making a movie in high school. It was like a group of friends got together. We laughed every day. We had it. We wrapped up our days at good times. We didn't kill ourselves. And the result was something really beautiful.
1: Oh, that's great. And uh, how much of that process will you explore on your YouTube channel of, of producing that?
0: I mean, I, I hope all of it. I really love having my YouTube channel as an outlet to share these types of experiences as I'm sure with you Nick like with the podcast it's like having an outlet to share these things I think the greatest backbone for me when I got out of high school and was kind of a lost filmmaker was the internet. I'm sure you were a viewer as much as I was of the guys from like Film Riot or the people on Indie Mogul and to me it was like this family that I had that knew exactly what I was going through and because of that I was able to get through these things a lot easier and You know, I I don't know what the experience is like post film school, but I can only imagine it's, it's the same sort of like, oh, now I'm out here in the wild trying to figure out how to survive. And with having the outlets to which I had to sort of learn and just more or less lean on as just advice and as a community, I would like to supply the same sort of support for young filmmakers who have that same feeling of survival in the wilderness
1: yeah. And, and you're doing that now with your channel. Where will you go from here with the channel? What, what's ahead?
0: Uh, to anyone who, who has a YouTube channel out there or, or building a brand, it is a constant battle with between, it's like a 50-50 split. 50% is your passion, your love, your intention to why you started this. And then the other 50%, basically like a business, is the analytics, satisfying the algorithm, Trying to be popular, giving it sustainability, because a YouTube channel, like a movie, like anything, is a has to be treated like a business, and a business can't just float on the good intentions of making people happy. It, it would be amazing if you could do that, but in, with you doing a YouTube channel, it's really tough, and so it's it's riding the line of riding the wave of the algorithm and trying to figure out how to, how to swim up on that and also make content that feels good in my heart and soul. And so it'll, it'll be playing out those two things and hopefully finding a good voice in that I've sort of gone in and out of what I like about the YouTube channel and um, making YouTube content is as much of a grind as it is a joy and the two are equal pains and passion points but uh, I feel like we're, we're we're finding something good. It will be exploring the making of a new film, random thoughts in my head, and uh, the loves and joys of being a creative.
1: People starting their editing, their professional editing careers right now. What what can they do to accelerate their careers? What software should they be learning? What tutorials should they be watching? What would you do if you were just starting right now?
0: Nick, I love that you're asking this because I. I've been a huge Premiere Pro user. So I started off as Final Cut, migrated to Premiere Pro, and then I watched this great video by fellow filmmaker Sam Colder, and he talks about um, switching over to DaVinci Resolve. I watched it, and I was like, oh, my God, this looks like a dream. And as much as I'm a huge Premiere user, I've used Premiere for like eight years now. It's been what I've cut two features on, every video imaginable on. I've, I'm a huge advocate for it. Um, but then I was like, it was just sort of seeing the green grass on the other side and realizing that, no, no, it is actually greener. It, mine is like this sunburnt dry grass that I keep putting money on being like, no, it's getting better. No, they're going to come up with an update that stops it crashing every 10 minutes. Uh, so all of that said, if I was starting over, I would start on DaVinci Resolve. Uh, I think the best skill is just time. So it would be dialing in on something like DaVinci Resolve. They say 10,000 hours. I would give you 50,000 hours. And the the you know a lot of people wonder is it the software? Software can only get, do so much. You know, I can I can probably edit a good video on on an app on my phone, um, and that's just because I understand how it works. But I think the key things to know as an editor are your software in and out. So the best thing is your hotkeys. How do I use my keyboard? Because knowing hotkeys is truly the quickest way to sort of uh, learn the language of editing. If not, you're kind of like clicking one, two, and three. It's the same way as like watching your dad send a text message and you writing an email and your dad's like like, his face is to the phone, clicking one button at a time. (laughs) Uh, Learning your software in and out is just, it's flow state. So learning how to tap into the flow state using DaVinci Resolve, and I actually think, as much as I'm not a big gear person, having a good computer goes a long way. I just recently bought the new Mac M1 Max, which I know is uh, not the nicest on the bank account, but if any anyone is sort of sitting on money where they're like, oh, I should buy an expensive camera, or maybe I'll buy go out to the bar tonight, uh, I would put that on pause and, and go forward with either getting a super juiced up PC or um, a really good Mac, because the most important thing as an editor is tapping into a flow state, which really means operating with no pauses in your creative process process and the fastest pauses are when you have to render when your computer legs mm-hmm. when premiere crashes unexpectedly sorry a big error has happened um, and all of those things so those would be my sort of top recommendations for any editors beginning right now
1: how is the role of the indie filmmaker changing so you're at the forefront of that you have uh, produced a feature film much younger than most people even dream of it and you're producing these cinematic shorts and this super high quality instructional content. What is the opportunity for people that want to be the next Steven Spielberg? How do they get there and, and what will that look like in, in the coming decade?
0: First off, Nick, I really appreciate that. That means that means a lot. Um, but I I think for those who want to become the next Steven Spielberg, one to recognize that we live in a time that Steven Spielberg never got to experience at the same age. Mm-hmm. Spielberg had to get together a group of buddies, which... You know, remarkably, were some of the most incredible filmmakers in the world. You had George Lucas, Scorsese, Coppola, Spielberg. They all hung out together. They collaborated, and I think we and and they made the best movies ever. They would get together, they'd hang out, party, make good films, review each other's stuff. And we live in an era to which that is so accessible. And I think we need to one rinse and repeat that method Mm -hmm. where we have that so much better. Like they just stumbled across each other and and made that connection. And a lot of people go to film school to learn and educate, but I, the biggest thing that I've gained from hearing other people's film school experience, and would be interested to hear yours, is the community that you met, the fun creatives that you got to collaborate with. But collaboration right now is at an all time high. My mm. girlfriend is obsessed with TikTok. I know nothing about it, but we'll listen to a song on the radio. And she's like, that came from a TikTok video. And I'm like, are you kidding wow. me? Like songs we're <laughs> listening to that are mixed and mastered and like on the radio started off of some guy going bup, 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 beep, bup, bup, on, his, like, on his funny. video. And then someone else collaborates with that and sings to it. And we have that availability right now with Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. And so what I would say is one, leverage the tools that are available to build out your network. Um, There's a great saying, which is if you wanna go fast, go alone, if you wanna go far, go together. So it's for you to be able to think, what do I wanna do Do I want to go fast or far and really determine one or the other? Because you can be a filmmaker doing one or either. I'm fortunate that I get to do both simultaneously. I have a YouTube channel that I do mostly by myself. And then I do my film stuff that there's no way I would do by my own. And seeing the trajectory of both of those things, if you want to follow the Zach Ramlin path, I would say plant many seeds and see which tree grows. Like we started this conversation with, I am a push-the-bus-up kind of filmmaker. I do a lot of things all at once and maybe move things slowly, but I get the satisfaction of seeing lots of trees growing. It's like, for me, it's a forest growing simultaneously as opposed to a full tree growing at, at their own time. Now, if you just want that one tree, if you want to see a tree grow fast, then just do that solo. If you want to see a whole forest grow, but maybe take longer, expect the, you know, be patient, but expect the greater uh, fruits of your labor. So, um, you know, to become the next Spielberg, I don't know if that's possible anymore to become a a Spielberg. But I think the really exciting thing is we haven't seen what our generation Spielberg is going to be yet. And there is a very yeah. beautiful hybrid of what's what's possible. And so instead of us really, and this is my philosophy, instead of us really trying to bite on, oh, I gotta make a feature, I gotta make what I grew up on. Like we're really, we're implementing nostalgia and past standards as what the pinnacle of success is for this generation. But the reality is this generation is very different. Than what the generations were before and i bet you if spielberg was born today he would probably be leveraging what technology exists now rather than referring to what was in the past spielberg wasn't making movies black and white talkies that maybe his parents grew up on he made movies that were relevant to their generation and actually were ahead of time to which is why he is still like you watch jaws and you're like wow this movie is relevant now and i think if you want to be relevant in 2030 2040 you need to lean into where things are at now and those top things as much as as much as i'd hate to say it are things like youtube instagram and also the cinema movie theaters and it's blending those things together to create a sort of hybrid um so I think I'm going to continue becoming a hybrid filmmaker while leaning into the things that I love, while still pursuing to try and make a feature film or to get a show up on Netflix, but to not try to live in the shadow of the greats that were from the past, but rather try to see what shadow I could cast in the future.
1: So as as you build toward that future, how do you support yourself and what portion of your revenue comes from client projects?
0: It's so funny. Like when the typical question when someone asks you like, Hey, what are you doing? Like, what, what are you working on? I draw blank immediately. I'm like, I have no idea how I, pay bills. like growing a whole forest over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It costs money to grow a forest. I don't know where the money's coming from, but it's, it's coming
1: while I'm pushing a bus up a hill
0: without pants on, yeah, without naked, <laughs> you've got the great illustration, yeah. It's a lot going on. That, maybe that's the next book title: pushing a bus up a growing. I'll fort. read that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pantsless. Um, yeah. I, I, as far as like financial stuff, um, I I do jobs that pay the bills. So event videography, um, documentary work. I'm very fortunate that I'm able to do some pretty cool um, short documentary projects that that pay the bills long enough. Um, I've also I'm really trying to tap into doing. Uh, high s- less projects, but make them higher quality rather than more projects that are mediocre. Like that. If that makes sense. So, yeah. like doing a ton of like mini corporate client jobs where it's like a hundred bucks here, a thousand bucks here, three hundred dollars there. Uh, it's to just do like a big project, um, and those are harder to find. But they la- the the money in the bank account lasts a little bit longer, so you have a little bit more wiggle room to to do that. But you know.
1: As does the impact of the work. That's something that that is going to have more meaning on your portfolio and attract more of that type of project. I,
0: I totally agree. Exactly, and I I recognize that one the projects that I look on back on that I like did for like a hundred bucks or two hundred bucks, like I never want to look at them again.
1: It'll never see the light of day.
0: Yeah, the project I was given a little bit more time to work on, uh, I end up being very happy to share with people and show, yeah. which then in exchange. Okay. Will inevitably get me more business. But if I'm ashamed, not even ashamed, but if I just like, yeah, let's just like sneak that one under the rug, we won't talk about that. <laughs> that's not gonna, it's not gonna make me grow. And in fact, so it just made a small amount of money and that's all it'll ever be. Right. But if I make something that I was able to put more time into, make a little bit more money off of, but maybe less work will come from it instantaneously, the long-term gain will be much more beneficial. So maybe in a year, I won't get a ton of work from that project, but in two years, I might get three extra jobs. Well, then it was worth the investment. So I try to put that mentality into the stuff that I work on. I'm also, no matter what it is, I am a ridiculously... I'm a, I'm crazy perfectionist when it comes to projects. I don't like, if someone's like, Hey, do you mind doing this thing for free? I'll die on the sword for that. I will like, and I hate, <laughs> I hate that I do that, but I'm like, yeah, no problem. I'll just spend an hour on it. And then like 10 hours later, I'll have done someone's like promo. <laughs> video. And I'm like, Oh, I did it again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's great though. That, I mean, that's uh, that's where the quality comes from. Yeah. And, and so do you, have you, have you experienced burnout? Have you uh, gotten you know, reached points where you feel like, man, uh, I'm doing these client projects. I don't have creative fulfillment. I don't have the control over this that, that I desire. Or have you found a way around that?
0: I wish I could say that I'm smart enough to navigate those types of things, um, but like currently, I'm facing it. Like I like literally today is a day off for me. I get to talk to talk to you uh, and do a couple of things on my short. But uh, I've I have reached kind of a tipping point right now, um, mostly because on top of being an obsessive editor, I'm also a people pleaser, and I'll I'll try and like overdo things or take on projects and. Um, that's truly where the work becomes overwhelming. And so, uh, I just had a crazy work week where I finished, you know, a bunch of projects and a ton of things on my plate and planning new things. And so just at the tipping point of burnout. So yes, it still happens. It's currently like at the brink of happening, but I'm, I'm slowing down and I think it's just giving myself some breathers and breaks. Um, because at the end of the day, like I said before, we're not curing cancer. Why should we be feeling the stress of that?
1: What mentorship have you found along the way? You mentioned friends in the filmmaking community there in Toronto earlier who have been helpful. How important is it to have sort of a guide who's, who's been through it, uh, showing you the way and, and how have you found those people?
0: So like I said earlier, like, of course, fellow filmmakers in the filmmaking scene have been really helpful above having like legitimate friends in the space, because even as like a, as a beginner filmmaker, um, you know, if you don't have anybody to talk to or to communicate with, I had YouTube, um, I had, uh, people like, uh, FilmRite, who I'm fortunate enough to call friends now. FilmRite
1: distributing your, your shorts, uh, which is. Pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, it would, to me. that was like that was the biggest accomplishment of my career. Was to one, like to receive an email from them, and then two, to be able to like talk to them, and then three, to have a movie on their platform was just like huge accomplishment. Great. And uh, yeah, yeah, the the young seventeen uh, year old filmmaker was just exploding at that moment. But I would say you know mentorship can be found on the internet, and uh, you don't really need the real face to face peeps. Um and then other mentorship is just going on set. Like I did a lot of uh production assisting Um, mostly to learn. It's so funny when you're a director, you're either the director of a project or you're the production assistant on someone else's, (laughs) you're you're nowhere in between. It's like either you're (laughs) the bottom of the everything or you're the top dog. And like, yeah, that's at least what I experienced. It's like, I couldn't do anything else other than do all of it or nothing. And which was actually really fun because when you, when you PA on someone's set, you kind of, it's like really nice. You're like, I get to watch this person stress out and answer all these questions. And all I have to do is serve coffee.
1: And what a great way to learn because you can literally be everywhere on set talking to anyone and it's justified.
0: A hundred percent. So that's where I found uh, a lot of my mentorship came from is just watching and learning whether it was on the internet or PAing on set. So if there's any young filmmakers out there, even if you're an editor, like getting on sets, meeting people, Uh, can really be be a a tremendous help. I recently just finished shooting a documentary with uh, an incredible filmmaker, Mark Bone, uh, who's a documentarian. And we uh, went across the States uh, filming guys chase tornadoes. We were doing a tornado chasing documentary. And it was really fun, man. One of my greatest fears I overcame. I literally grew up watching Twister over my sister's shoulder and she would freak the hell out of me almost every day being like, Zach, there's a funnel cloud look, there's a funnel cloud coming down, be her it. being in tears. It's coming It is. She would do that. And so I overcame <laughs> that fear of twisters and tornadoes by actually chasing them. But the nice thing was oh, I was B-cam cool. on this documentary, uh, and it was, there was something really freeing about being B-cam over A-cam because I could really learn a lot about what – uh, the other filmmaker was doing so. As recommendation to anyone who's listening to this, the, you know, being a PA, being the B cam, C cam, assistant editor, whatever that is, while it might be maybe a hit to the ego, uh, or seem maybe not like the pinnacle, like maybe you're not Spielberg, maybe you're Spielberg's production assistant. There's something really valuable actually about being in that position because you learn much more when you, you learn both. It's like when you get the head roll, all you want is to be down in the bottom and just be like, I just want to ride the wave. Uh, and there's something really nice about being at the bottom, just absorbing and being a sponge.
1: Something I've found and advice I've, I've given to a lot of people curious about how to get those jobs, uh, that access to, to interesting filmmakers just uh, in a starting role intern or PA is just reaching out to people and saying, I'm a fan of your work. I would love to help you. I'd love to, to be involved. Sometimes it's you know, without, without pay. That almost always leads to, to paid gigs once you prove yourself. What other advice might you have for finding interesting filmmakers to uh, attach yourself to interesting projects to, to help as a PA or, or in some other uh, entry-level capacity?
0: I think you nailed it on the head. It's it's message. Sending a message to someone is so effective, even to the point of working with brands. When I started doing my YouTube channel, and I wanted to work with some big brands. I literally Facebook messaged them. And at the time, Facebook Messenger publicly showed if you had a quick response rate or not. So companies had to respond to me in a quick rate or also reflect on their customer service. I love that. And so I fun. messaged blogs and articles and stuff to which I wanted to work with uh, or collaborate with. Yeah. And in exchange, I, I was able to benefit uh, really well. And even now, like uh, camera companies and stuff. So the same goes for work. Like I'm working with a VFX team right now, my new short film that uh, they just messaged me over Facebook. They are like, hey, we saw that you make sci-fi movies. Let us know if you ever want to work with each other. And I was like, actually, funny enough, I'm working on something right now. And they did about uh, 60% of the visual effects in my new film, which, you know, I I would have been up shit creek without them. So they just messaged me randomly. And uh, now we'll be long-term collaborators. So the same can go in the other direction.
1: That's great. Great advice. I love that. Uh, this was awesome, Zach. Any any final words? Any final uh, tips or, or guidance for people who would love to have a career like yours?
0: Oh man, I, I mean, I, I think it's it's to to follow the the pain of hearing the saying is because of how cliche it is. But following your dreams is truly one of the most important things. But to solidify what that dream is, because I sometimes we say dream and it's kind of this blurry image in our heads, and that's how we can kind of sway going, getting the golden handcuffs, which is something that most editors get, which is uh, this this can be a very lucrative business. You can make a lot of money being a corporate editor, doing random jobs, but those sway off of what that original dream was, and I recommend anyone writing down what it is that they really want to accomplish in this, and then work backwards to how they'll get to there, because uh, having concrete blueprints to where you want to go will give you the best results to what you want to achieve in this in this industry and uh yeah uh don't use premiere pro get davinci resolve (laughs) (laughs) awesome zach thank you everyone follow
1: follow zach on youtube if you don't already uh you will you'll love his shorts you'll love his uh behind the scenes his teaching content thank you for this Zach.
0: nick thank you so much it was an honor you ask the best questions imaginable and i uh wish i had your podcast growing up this would have been so great to listen to